Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Ask the Therapist with me, Sarah Rees, and today I have with me Natalie Englander. Natalie is a CBT therapist and she works in private practice and the NHS. We've known each other for a couple of years now. She's done some coaching with me and is one of my supervisees. So we meet on a monthly basis and I've been meaning to get her on the podcast for a while now. So it's lovely that we've finally found the time to do this. And we're talking about perfectionism. And I think it's such an interesting topic and I think most people are going to be able to really relate to it. In clinical practice, occasionally we get people that present and and come to therapy because of perfectionism, but generally people don't because I think it's seen as quite a positive trait sometimes and I'm not sure that everybody is aware that you can have support and therapy to reduce some perfectionism if it's having a negative impact on your life or you just want to work with it better if you know it it has an impact and could escalate. So generally we will see people with anxieties or um, low mood and actually when we spend time with that person perfectionism is kind of a feature of it so we would work with it within that context so it's often doesn't present as a standalone thing people come to therapy for so I think it's something many of us can relate to at different times in our lives we've maybe thrown ourselves at something and really wanted to get it done perfectly and that's caused a lot more stress or maybe it's within every area of our lives and some people definitely would identify as perfectionism. So Natalie specialises in working with people with perfectionism. That's her real specialist area. So she's going to really help us understand it more, share some tips and tricks. And she also does a really fantastic mindfulness course, an eight-week course that's online. All the links will be in the show notes. And she's going to do a little five-minute meditation for us as well. That's halfway through. I really enjoyed it. And I'm going to see if I can pull out that meditation and I'll share it on the podcast as an individual five-minute exercise because some of you might be jogging or walking or driving and want to come back to it at a later point. So it will be on there as a little mini bonus episode. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I know I did. Okay, take care. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Ask the Therapist, Natalie. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Great to be here. Pleasure. Good. I'm going to start, as I've been doing the last few podcasts, with um, a quick fire round, just so we can all get to know you a little bit better. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Oh, definitely a night owl, unfortunately. (laughs) Would you like self-help books as a therapist or Netflix? Netflix, definitely Netflix. And I know the answer to the next one as well. Dogs or cats? 
Absolutely, dogs, 100%. There's lots of gorgeous pictures of you with your dog on your Instagram. Oh, yeah, Minnie. She is exceptionally gorgeous. I might be a bit biased. Nightclubs or gym? Oh, probably neither. But if I had to pick, definitely a nightclub. Very good. And what is your favourite book? Um... Oh, I don't really have one. Okay, maybe um, Birdsong, which is a book about the war. Oh, I think I've seen that. That's a fi- Is that a film as well? Oh, I think it might be a film, actually. Yeah, it's a- it was really good. Oh, very good. And um, chocolate or crisp person? Mm, crisps, unless it's the time of the month, and then it would be chocolate. <laughs> so a bit of both. What's your favourite ever film? I would say Braveheart, which is also another film about a war. So I guess I just think I like war stuff. It's a bit dark. (laughs) I've not watched Braveheart for years. Oh, I love it. So good. I don't know why I love it. There are so many other great films. Maybe it's all the uniforms they wear all kind of don't wear. Yeah. (laughs) And are you mindfulness or running? Mindfulness. I could have guessed that maybe as well. Are you a night out with 10 friends or do you just like a cosy too? Oh, that's a tough one. Probably a cosy too. Oh, that's nice. Very good. Thank you for answering those. That's right. Helps with my nosiness. I'm always really fascinated at why people kind of choose to be a therapist. Can you tell us a little bit about how you arrived at being a CBT therapist? Yeah. So, I think it was ever since I started studying psychology at A-level, I remember just thinking, this is so cool and fascinating and interesting. And I think prior to that, I'd also experienced my own mental health difficulties as a child. So I think those two combined together, I just sort of knew, it feels like I've always wanted to be a therapist. Did you have therapy? I have had therapy before. I think though... I think it was more the sort of intrigue around, you know, like, why do we sometimes struggle with anxiety or why does our brain work this way? So I think I was just really fascinated by it. And definitely, probably, I imagine all therapists say we're usually inclined to like to help people. (laughs) I think that factored in there as well, which helps when you've struggled yourself. It sort of gives you more of that compassion, I guess, to want to help others. Yeah, definitely. You get that empathy. And you, you've you got a real curiosity, it sounds like, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sort of from that point, I was really driven to do my psychology degree, get lots of experience, and then go straight on to do my postgrad diploma in CBT. And to be honest, possibly driven by the perfectionist in me, I decided to do another postgrad diploma in CBT for children and young people, because I think I just... I wanted to feel like I had a really deep expert understanding of CBT, like across the lifespan. And I guess even since then, I've had opportunities to train in other modalities, but I haven't wanted to because I kind of pride myself on being pure CBT therapist and flying the flag for CBT. (laughs) Fantastic. And what are your roles? I know you do a number of a number of things, don't you, as a CBT therapist? Yes, probably too many things. So I work full time in the NHS as a deputy clinical lead for a mental health service called IAPT, where I live in Hertfordshire. And so I have about a team of maybe 80-ish therapists. And my main role is to sort of 
ensure good quality therapy essentially for clients. So I supervise all the senior therapists who supervise the rest of the team. That takes up the majority of my time. But because I'm a bit mad, I've condensed that into less days so that then I have some other free days to do my private practice work, which I love doing. And that's where I see one-to-one clients for online CBT and run my online mindfulness courses um, and then do other sort of bits and bobs, writing articles, coming onto podcasts like yours, those sorts of things. So busy, busy, busy. Yes, very busy. How are things in the NHS at the moment? I'm a bit, little bit out of touch. Is it, how are the waiting lists where you are? Not too bad, to be honest, at the moment. Um, a lot of people are still working from home, to be honest. Space in the NHS is always an issue. So even if we all wanted to go back into the office full time, it probably actually wouldn't be possible at the moment. So it's really changed the culture of things then if a lot of people are working from home is that helped in a way I mean I think it's certainly been great for bringing the NHS on board with online therapy it's always something that was in the pipeline to look at but it just sort of propelled everyone forward to I guess sort of thrown in at the deep end with offering online therapy but it's been great yeah, it's fantastic. It's just brought something forward that was always going to come about, hasn't it? But it's just happened much quicker, which is brilliant. It's really improved accessibility, hasn't it? And I think it's been amazing as well, because I guess as deputy clinical lead for that service, I'm very focused on what our recovery rates are, i.e., you know, how much are our clients benefiting and recovering, so to speak, from their treatments. And the recovery rates are exactly the same as before when we were face to face. That's really good to know because I think the research is just very young if it's been done at all. So, but that's nice from your experience that therapy online is just as effective as face to face. And that's definitely my experience as well. So, it's reassuring for people. And in your private work, one of your specialities and why I brought you on today is to talk about perfectionism. And I know that people who from my experience, who are perfectionists generally know they are. But could you go over what perfectionism is? Because I'm not sure that everybody realises it's a clinical term and actually you can get treatment for it. So would you be able to explain it? Yeah, absolutely. So I always kind of break down in my mind perfectionism into three different parts. So I guess a perfectionist is someone who relentlessly strives for really high standards And the high standards are very sort of personally demanding and and quite often they're a bit unreasonable as well. And then I guess another part is a perfectionist is someone who judges their self-worth based a lot on their ability to strive for and achieve all these kind of unrelenting standards. Right. So I'm worthless unless I've achieved this, that and the other. Exactly. And then I guess as a result of that, the the third bit is a perfectionist usually experiences some sort of negative consequences of setting such demanding standards. But despite that, they keep going for them. They keep striving, even though it's having a huge cost to them. So the fear of not being perfect is pretty high then? Yes, absolutely. It's sort of, unless I get this done perfectly or unless unless I achieve 100% then I failed or then I'm a failure 
And I always like to sort of point out when we're talking about perfectionism that it's perfectly fine to have high standards, but what often isn't so fine is the way in which we pursue or try and achieve those standards when we're a perfectionist. So if we're doing it for the neglect of ourselves, for example, if I'm not eating and drinking because I, you know, have to get something perfect. Yep, exactly. And I think perfectionists, they often either fail to meet whatever standards they've set and then they fall into self-criticism, you know, I'm worthless, I'm rubbish, etc. Or they meet the standards, but instead of then sort of thinking great and relaxing, they'll tend to think, even if it's a bit subconscious, they'll tend to think, well, the standards obviously weren't demanding enough, you know, I need to set the bar higher next time. So they just continue on and on. And I suppose the other thing that I've seen in clinical practice is that some people, they don't feel they're perfectionists because they don't actually do any of these things. So they think perfectionist is somebody who's like really high standards and striving, but on top of things and has everything perfect. But they don't associate with that because they don't do anything unless I can do it perfect. I'm not doing it at all. And it's almost paralyzing. Yeah, absolutely. You can get the other end of the spectrum where someone perhaps procrastinates a lot, they avoid a lot. Because I mean, gosh, that's, it's a lot of pressure when you're wanting to be perfect, that sometimes it's easier to just not even try at all. So we might avoid things where we're worried that we might fail, or we might not do amazingly at it. And that can then look like quite a different picture to someone who's perhaps always striving. But underneath what's happening is is usually the same sort of mechanism coming down to that self-worth being judged by your ability to kind of do do the things you want to be able to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you just mentioned before part of your journey stems from being a perfectionist. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience or your journey? Yeah, so I think that... My perfectionism probably started when I was a teenager, around the time of sort of doing GCSEs, A-levels. And I was someone who tended to, most of the time, meet my standards and do well. But rather than, as I mentioned before, just sort of relaxing and thinking, great, I would just keep striving even more, wanting to be better, do better, do more. So even if you got 100%, you would have wanted to kind of push it? Yeah, I think, I mean, this sounds absolutely ridiculous, but I think I remember at my AS level, I got a low A, maybe a high B in one of my exams. And then in the second year for my A level, I knew I'd do well enough that overall I'd get an A, but I still decided to reset the AS level exam to get a higher A because I knew it was easy I could no big deal. And it would be less pressure for me in the second final A-level year, which I mean, that in itself is full on. That's intense. My mind would not do that. More avoidant. Wow. Did you, Can I just ask, did you know at that time this is perfectionism? Do you know what? I don't think I would have because I think before I really learned about perfectionism, I just used to think, well, I'm not a perfectionist because I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. And so I think I used to have this idea that perfectionists are people who who sort of are perfect. 
That's what I hear a lot as well. That's interesting. So you were one of those therapists in in the classroom learning about CBT things and thinking, and we've all done that and going, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to add, I think reflecting, I guess that was me as a teenager, reflecting as an adult, I think definitely things like struggling to switch off um, and relax because of constant striving and that can kind of lead to burnout. So I, I need to consciously work hard at self-care trying to keep a balance of things as opposed to often I can maybe swing from um sort of go 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 to then exhaustion and nothing and procrastination so quite all or nothing I would say right so you've been able to teach yourself about that striving mode that you're in I guess just as I'm saying it that's probably why if your interest in mindfulness has come about so you can notice that and pull yourself back now can you yeah absolutely and it's, it still takes work and a conscious effort but I think what's definitely helped is having more self-awareness and I've sort of achieved that through journaling and having my own therapy and mindfulness that's really interesting and and perfectionism is often associated with being a positive attribute so what are the downsides for people because I mean it's the kind of thing that people say in job interviews my problem is that I'm so perfect and I've got perfectionism I do everything to a high standard but there are downsides I think people should take that out of job interview answers now shouldn't they yeah definitely I think a lot of people do think of perfectionism as something positive because it's usually seen like well that's brilliant the person's pursuing excellence and they're working really hard to challenge themselves etc And people usually say, you know, it's good. It makes me organised and efficient. But I think, yes, having high standards and goals are great, but actually sometimes they can get in the way of of our happiness. And they can actually affect our performance as well. So how would that work? If we have that kind of excessive drive to achieve ever higher levels of performance and sort of perfect everything it can be self-defeating because it doesn't give us much chance of of meeting our goals or feeling good about ourselves and it creates so much pressure which is bound to make you feel constantly on edge or tense or stressed out and just lean to burnout that would be a huge risk wouldn't it so that as as employers get maybe more aware of mental health and get more informed that's maybe how they're seeing it could see it as well now that actually this person might struggle managing that striving element and I think usually your self-worth is quite vulnerable I guess what I mean by that is if you don't reach those standards which are usually quite difficult because you've set them so high you just set yourself up feeling like a failure and you mentioned before that self-criticism is a big element of this yeah absolutely definitely self-criticism is is a big part of being a perfectionist but there are other negative things as well like mistakes feel like a huge catastrophe as opposed to say a high achiever who's not a perfectionist they might make mistakes and and learn from them and be able to move forward quicker yeah exactly and a perfectionist will always usually feel like a failure or they're not good enough They don't like uncertainty, often goals are unrealistic. I guess there's just a whole host of things. And it's funny because as I say this, as a human, 
I want to say, yes, there are benefits to being a perfectionist and it's a positive thing. But as a therapist, I know that's not really the case, which I've learned from working on my own perfectionism, that the cons do outweigh the pros. And you can have high standards and achieve great things without all the downsides of perfectionism. Yeah, it's that valuing the kind of non-doing, isn't it, to get the balance and that actually the calmer we are and the more in control we are, more boundaries we are, we actually save ourselves time, make less mistakes sometimes, don't we, because we're more in control of them. Yeah, absolutely. It's really a, a useful oversight. So I think, you know, sometimes there are times where people have perfectionism and they could actually really benefit from therapy. Do you say a little bit about when somebody should get help? Because I think lots of people might not realise that they can get help with their perfectionism to reduce it and get a bit more balance. Yeah, definitely. I guess I think if you notice any of the signs of perfectionism, then why not go go talk to someone about it? And I guess it's that's why it's good to become aware of some of the signs, because they might be things that you haven't maybe connected to perfectionism like struggling to make decisions I drive my fiance mad because I struggle to make decisions because I want to make sure it's the best right and perfect decision right. yeah. or reassurance seeking excessive organizing procrastinating um that black and white thinking sometimes sort of giving up easily or not quite starting things because you don't want to do it unless you know you're going to be really good. I guess any of those sorts of things, if you notice the signs, then I think it is important to get help because perfectionism can lead to other problems like anxiety, depression, low self-esteem. It can also be a risk factor for not only depression, but also eating disorders as well. So that's really interesting. It sounds like, because maybe what I would have said is kind of when it's impacting your life, but what you're kind of saying in which I think is the better approach is awareness is key isn't it and actually some people come along and they have two or three therapy sessions to get more aware of patterns of their thinking style what's going on for them and can put in some really useful strategies that in the long term are much more beneficial and actually that's how we should be working with our mental health more preventative rather than waiting for things yes yeah I completely agree you're absolutely right normally we would say if it's not having an impact, then perhaps it's not a problem. But why why wait until it potentially is a problem when just building a bit more self-awareness and learning a few strategies can make the world of difference? And, and I think sometimes we might not realise the impact perfectionism is having on us because we're so caught up in wanting to strive and achieve that we, you know, we just sort of think, well, this is part and parcel of of being the best that I can be. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's really interesting. And what does the research say about most effective treatments and therapy for perfectionism? Well, CBT is certainly... (laughs) Bias, aren't we both? CBT therapists. Yeah, I I would say if it wasn't recommended for perfectionism, but it definitely is. Yeah, it's got a good evidence base, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favourite sort of big dogs in the CBT world is Roz Shaffrin. 
I've attended lots of her trainings on perfectionism. She's also written a book called Overcoming Perfectionism, which is based on CBT principles. And in CBT, we'd with perfectionism, we'd mainly work on challenging your perfectionistic thinking and trying to reduce perfectionist behaviours and then try and create a bit more flexibility with all those stressful rules that we set for ourselves and try and build our self-worth essentially. Yeah, so they're the common kind of target areas of treatment. And you do um, a mindfulness course online as well for people, which I know you advertise through your um, Instagram account and your website. And you've mentioned that mindfulness has helped you with your perfectionism. How does that work? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm sure there are more elaborate answers to this. (laughs) But I'm just going to go with saying that mindfulness is about allowing things to be just as they are in this moment which if you think about it, is sort of the exact opposite of a perfectionist who likes to be in control of the moment and is usually wanting the moment to be different, i.e. more perfect. So I think mindfulness can help shift our perspective and how we see and want life to be. And I think mindfulness can help with all the kind of symptoms of perfectionism, like Perfectionists are usually worrying about the future or planning ahead, whereas mindfulness brings you back to the here and now or perfectionists tend to focus more on the negatives, whereas mindfulness can help you focus more on the positives and develop more appreciation for life. And then more of the usual things that people have probably heard of if they have come across mindfulness, you know, it can help reduce stress levels. I'm probably yet to meet a perfectionist that isn't a little bit stressed out. I think something I've loved personally is that I think perfectionists can get quite serious about things needing to be perfect. Whereas I love that mindfulness sometimes uses a bit of humour to almost laugh at, I guess in a nice way, some of these ridiculous sort of thoughts and strivings that we might have in our head about needing to be so perfect. So you can almost sort of take a different approach with your thoughts. And when you notice the, the I'm not good enough thought come up or the this needs to be perfect, almost just saying it out loud and kind of thinking, oh, here's the I'm not good enough thought again. Thanks for coming. So you get a bit of distance from it and they lose the power then. I was just thinking as well, I know that some people that I recommend mindfulness to would would say, I'm not doing it properly. I'm not, I can't do it. I'm not. And I guess, you know, they worry about doing mindfulness properly, which is not mindfulness. So I wonder if the skill of kind of just letting go and not think overthinking it is really good for kind of perfectionism and managing those kind of thoughts. Because you have to allow yourself not to do it properly, don't you? That's the whole point. Yeah, which that in itself is a great experiment for a perfectionist to tolerate doing something that they don't feel like they're good at. But in my mindfulness course... I can't tell you how many times I will say and sort of reassure people that there's no right or wrong way to do this. And I kind of think of it like when we talk about marketing, how you need to, someone needs to to hear something seven times before they buy. I sort of take that approach in my course. They need to hear it sort of seven times every session before before you start to believe it. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really good. And if somebody's listening to this episode and thinks, okay, I really need to make some changes, what are the things that they could start doing 
from today what are the are there some kind of common practical tips or strategies yeah I guess something that I've personally found helpful is I know it might sound a bit cheesy but try and live by the mantra done is better than perfect I think particularly if you're someone who procrastinates because you know you you don't want to do it unless you know you're going to do it amazingly that really done is better than perfect and sometimes I like to reassure myself not in an arrogant way but that it's likely that your version of done is probably pretty excellent in everyone else's eyes. Yes yeah that's really good I've not heard that one before but one that I've heard on um, I think I've seen the quote sometimes is um, progress not perfection so always thinking about getting some progress but not focusing on perfection. And I think, I mean, procrastination comes up a lot with the clients I see who struggle with perfectionism. So I think just learning some practical strategies to tackle procrastination sort of straight from the off can be useful. And there are so many ways or sort of so many practical strategies that help with procrastination, whether it's um, setting a time limit to do a piece of work or um, getting the worst task done first, or maybe working the other way sort of building momentum by ticking off the easier ones first that's usually what I do (laughs) probably still slightly procrastinating avoiding the the worst task but that gets me going it's getting the momentum isn't it often it's the starting that's the problem and it's huge procrastination isn't it it's a really people find it really tricky definitely and there are so many different things you, you can do to help with procrastination and you know that's a big part of perfectionism even if you can just tackle procrastination that will help you a lot I guess something about trying to reevaluate how important achieving is to you because I know we've mentioned now this idea that your self-worth or your self-esteem can be quite reliant on your ability to achieve things and strive and be the best So I think it's really important to try and develop other ways of feeling good about yourself so that you're not left with the only way I can feel good about myself is to achieve academically or to have a perfect house or whatever it might be. So put more eggs in the self-worth kind of basket. Mm, Yeah, exactly. Or I guess thinking of eggs in a basket, not having all your eggs in one basket in the sort of the achievement basket having your eggs in some other baskets as well yeah what about kind of getting people to kind of do things not perfectly yeah that's definitely useful um I'm just tolerating how that feels and sometimes it can actually be quite fun because there might have been so many things that you wanted to do that you just haven't done because you don't like the idea of not doing it perfectly whether that's you know learn an instrument or take up a new hobby or make some new friends whatever it might be and I guess that's another way that kind of therapy can be useful because we become kind of accountability don't we that you have to go away practice and come back and kind of say how you got on because there's a tendency to put oh that's a good idea I'll put it in a drawer yes and never do it (laughs) exactly you kind of get your own cheerleader I guess from your therapist who's encouraging you come on let's let's try these things let's get outside your comfort zone a little bit 
do you come across many people that think uh, have a worry about not doing therapy perfectly or not being a good kind of client yes that does come up and I think it can come up as well with home practice tasks you know if someone's needing to do a thought record for example they might feel quite anxious about it wanting to make sure that they've done it correctly and I guess it's just about having that awareness and having that initial conversation again how similar to mindfulness there isn't really a right or wrong way to do this let's just be curious and just give it a go and see what happens that's all we can do is try our best and again that mantra you know done is better than perfect yeah and keeping that front and center and kind of with the work that people do often in between sessions any information is good information so even if you if there's a struggle with it that's really useful because you can unpick what the process was and and what was going on there can't you yeah exactly and it's it's kind of really similar to in a mindfulness practice as well if you feel like your mind keeps wandering off again you haven't done it wrong it's just noticing that today your mind kept wandering off it's just building that self-awareness I think that's really key and that leads us on to my next question about would you like to do a five minute mindfulness practice or just a few minutes for us because I think it's we've talked about it so much today and nobody's ever done one before on the podcast and it might be a nice kind of little treat for people yeah no I'd love to and I think um I guess there are lots of different ways to practice mindfulness you can do that formally with meditation practices or informally where you know maybe you're walking down the street and you practice noticing everything that you can see around you that's being mindful what I think might be a good one to do is a breathing space so it's a sort of halfway house between an informal and a formal practice and it used to be called the three minute breathing space but now we're not allowed to say that because it's changed to being called the three step breathing space why is that because yes three minutes is great but actually you could do it in a minute or you could do it in five minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes or five minutes as we might do now (laughs) okay so shall I fire away Go for it. Yeah, I'm just getting myself comfy. I suppose if people in driving don't close your eyes or lose concentration on the road. (laughs) Yes, maybe don't do this for driving. Listen to it later on. Okay, so sitting comfortably and closing your eyes, if that feels comfortable for you, or if not, just lowering your gaze. And we'll begin with the first step, which is being aware really aware of what's going on with you right now. So becoming aware of what's going through your mind, what thoughts are around. And here, as best you can, just noting the thoughts as mental events. So we note them and then we note the feelings that are around at the moment. And maybe turning toward any sense of discomfort or unpleasant feelings. So rather than trying to push them away or shut them out, just acknowledge them. Perhaps saying, ah, here you are. That's how it is right now. And the same with sensations in the body. 
Are there sensations of tension, of holding, something else? And again, awareness of them, simply noting them. Okay, that's how it is right now. So we've got a sense of what's going on right now. We've stepped out of automatic pilot. And the second step is to collect our awareness by focusing on a single object, the movements of the breath. So now we really gather ourselves, focusing attention in the movements of the abdomen, the rise and fall of the breath. Spending a moment or so, focus on the movement of the abdominal wall, moment by moment, breath by breath, as best we can. So that you know when the breath is moving in and you know when the breath is moving out. Just binding your awareness to the pattern of movement down there, gathering yourself and using the anchor of the breath to be really present. And now as a third step, having gathered ourselves to some extent, we allow our awareness to expand. So as well as being aware of the breath, we also include a sense of the body as a whole so that we get this more spacious awareness, a sense of the body as a whole, including any tightness or sensations related to holding in the shoulders, neck, back or face. Following the breath as if your whole body is breathing. Holding it all in this slightly softer, more spacious awareness. And you might like to ask yourself with gentle kindness, what do I need for myself right now? How can I best take care of myself in the next moments of my day? And then when you're ready, just allowing your eyes to open. That was lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. It was really interesting. I I normally do, I do do mindfulness because I just think you just can't ignore the science behind it. The way I got into doing a regular practice was through doing a course. I did the Breathworks one in Manchester. Mm, Yeah, I think so many people really want to get into mindfulness and sort of struggle with having that consistent practice. And it's perhaps not until you do a mindfulness course that you sort of can really it really really changes everything in terms of mindfulness because if you're doing a course you have to commit to it you make a real commitment to the practice and when you do that's when it's really transformative so yeah you've got accountability there and to be honest I think I used to think I knew what mindfulness was and then I did the eight-week course myself as a participant and then I was like ah okay there's there's a, there's a bit more to it yeah definitely it's really and it is like if you do it every single day it's like going through life in a limousine rather than a clunky truck isn't it? 
I love that expression. Maybe I'll use that to advertise my next course. <laughs> you can steal that one. <laughs> I'll let you have that. But I normally do it in the morning or um, at times where everything's calm. So I think this is the first time that I've ever, well, I don't, well, when I've done it, because I'm doing a podcast, I'm quite a little bit anxious, a bit of adrenaline. It's, it's a kind of really different to do it with the, those sensations going on. Yeah, I think that's why it's great, because this breathing space that we call it, you can do it sort of at different points throughout the day, just as a way to check in with yourself. Or you can use it as a responsive breathing space, i.e. use it when you need it. If you notice, oh, gosh. I'm feeling a bit anxious, a bit stressed, then just take a moment, do a breathing space just to gather yourself. Yeah, I know lots of therapists do it between clients, don't they? Yeah, it's a lovely way to just sort of ground yourself for a few moments. And get into the right headspace. Oh, it's really lovely. Thank you for doing that. And my final question I ask everyone is, if you could go back to your 15-year-old self, what would you say to her and what advice would you give? Mm. um you know I think that um what comes to mind is my favorite quote which is from Winnie the Pooh and it's you're braver than you believe stronger than you seem and smarter than you think I think that's the advice or what I would say to my 15 year old self for sure oh that's lovely that's really nice really sweet so thank you so much for today it's just been really I think it's going to be a really useful episode for so many people and if somebody wants to follow your work or do your mindfulness course where's the best place they can I'll put all the links in the show notes but where's the best place they can get in touch with you or follow what you do yeah so I mean my Instagram would be great place to go I am the perfectionism therapist but it's specifically the dot perfectionism dot therapist um where I mainly talk about no surprise perfectionism but also um low self-esteem and anxiety and mindfulness or there is my website natalieenglander.com and there's lots of info in there about having online cbt with me or signing up to my eight week online mindfulness course and that's probably also the best way to get involved with a few other bits that I offer like my monthly well-being newsletter that's usually a good way to stay in touch with any of my latest news because that's where I usually announce things like if I'm going to be running a workshop or releasing a freebie and speaking of freebies I have a freebie which is called mindfulness for the modern women And it aims to be the ultimate guide to less burnout and more balance in seven days. So I think it's brilliant if you're perfectionist, but also I think it's useful for for anyone, really. And then really exciting is that as of next month on my website will be my new blog. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Um, Have you got your first blog post? What will it be? Oh, TBC. I'm not that organised. Probably still procrastinating a bit. (laughs) But there's going to be lots in there about perfectionism, well-being and, and therapy as well in general. Brilliant. Well, I will add all the links in the show notes and on the podcast page. And thank you just so much for your time, Natalie. It's been great. 
thank you so much for having me oh pleasure pleasure thank you so much Natalie thank you for listening to as a therapist for more information about the CBT journal visit my website at saradreese.co.uk you can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience delivered straight to your inbox you will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts podcasts and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast, and you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag AskTheTherapist. This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Reese, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.